0: Sound design. It's nobody's fault. The console screwed up, whatever. But I'm just never going to be that guy standing there wishing it was not going on when it happens. Look at behind you, the lighting guys. There's always two consoles sitting there. So why should we be any different? Nobody wants to pay. Production managers are always, you know, bickering about the space PA and everything takes. But nobody cares until the shit hits the fan. And then you're standing there without a show and they're all like, oh, I wish this guy would have had a backup plan. Sound
1: design welcome to sound design live the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world i'm nathan lively and today i'm joined by front of house sound engineer who spent 26 years mixing some of the biggest bands on tour worldwide sean sullivan welcome to sound design live nice thanks for having me and i forgot to ask you do you prefer sean sullivan do you prefer sully what do you like Grew up in a long line of Irish Sullivans,
0: so we all go by Sully. It's been the family nickname for, I have three brothers, they all go by Sully. Like, Really? It's just, yeah, it's, you know, my dad was a fireman, a long line of firemen, and firemen all go by their last name, or a shortened version of their last name. Sean, you call me Sully, either way,
1: it doesn't matter to me. So it's common for you and your your brothers. This is the first time I've heard it outside of my grandfather, and apparently his friends used to call him that, and when... He passed away, he left some money for the YMCA in Estes Park in the Rockies. And so they actually built a cabin and has his name on it. So if you ever go to Estes Park and you go to the YMCA, there's a cabin you can rent that's called Sully. (laughs) Nice, lots of Sully's out there in the world, that's for sure. Okay, Sean, I definitely want to talk to you about having a solid backup plan, subwoofer arrays, and gig prep. But before I do that, after you get a sound system set up, what's one of your maybe favorite pieces of music to play through it to get familiar with it? For a long time, I would just play stuff
0: that I knew very well and could remember Did the snare sound the way it should and got away from that a a lot lately, only because that stuff is so perfect and so polished. And mastered within an inch of its life. If the PA doesn't sound good with that stuff on, then you're in big trouble. I, because of virtual sound checking now, and I know that my mix is dialed up in near fields and to be sounding the way it should, big and huge on something that's neutral. I just typically use the show that I'm working on. I put on a song. I use the same song every day. The, the carpenters and the backline guys, they all hate me. And they're like, God, this guy in that same, we're going to hear this again tonight. We're going to hear it sound check and this song. And we put it on loop. And my system engineer and I will put a, a chunk of the song in loop. And so that it's very similar everywhere we go walk in the room and we hear the same piece over and over again, just to make sure the rig's the way we want it to sound and with something relevant to what we're doing tonight, because I'm not playing back pre-recorded music tonight. I'm playing my less than average mix and i only say that because live is nothing like a studio the way we throw everything on stage and we point it all at each other and there's no isolation and the vocals are full of bleed and pa mess and obnoxious sounding rooms like that stuff's all detrimental to how it sounds so to use something that's nothing like that to listen to a pa now i'm not saying you can't get a pa to sound right with pre-recorded material i just stopped doing it i I was just like i'm just going to use something that's relevant and that way I know this rig works with what I'm going to put through it tonight.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And in your own defense, those carpenters aren't switching up their hammers every day so they can make it sound different for you. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I get it that it's painful to listen to and it's just part of the job.
0: Just like when they're putting the stage, the rolling stage together and I'm out of front of house waiting to build front of house and they're banging on stuff with dead blow hammers. That's annoying too. We all have annoying parts of putting a show together. So sorry, guys. Sorry, everybody out there that has to deal with it. I don't like it either, but I got to do it.
1: So we had a lot of great questions that people sent in, but I wanna start a little bit talking about career advice because I know there's a lot of people who are struggling to find work right now. We're either still in the pandemic depending where you are in the world and when you're listening to this or we're coming out of it. But looking back on how things have played out for you in your career and now your deeper understanding of how the product industry works, What advice do you have for me and other people who might be looking for gigs right now to help find more of the work that they really love? I feel like looking for gigs is like the toughest way to do it in this business,
0: because I didn't do it that way. I started with a vendor. I started young at Eight Day Sound. I was 20 years old and I got in there, mic and stages and tech and monitor rigs and flying PA, doing the beginning phases of this, of touring industry. I started at the bottom. And anytime someone needed a front of house engineer or a monitor, you know, opening acts, don't have any money, they always need somebody. I was always the first one to put my hand up. And nowadays I see young kids, text. the first thing they do is say, well, how much are you gonna pay me? And I didn't do that back then. Like I was working for the vendor, I was making my measly money working for the vendor, which to me back then was good money because it was better paying than the car stereo shop that I worked at when I stopped working there. But it, it's all about the desire to be better than anybody else that's done this and to not worry about the monetary side of it because that will come. If you get good at this, that'll come. Cause it has for me with, without worrying about that aspect, all I cared about was getting people to know who I am and then realize that I wanted this more than anybody else and I desire to be better at it than anybody else. And that's, a, I, I feel like. Nowadays, with the, the movie, The Matrix, when she needs to be a helicopter pilot, she just says, hey, tank, load me up. A, yeah, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> hell." And that's kind of how it is nowadays. People just demand this really fast, like, boom, YouTube knowledge and watch a video and you know how to do that. And the instantaneous gratification is just doesn't exist really. That's, that's social media life. It doesn't really work that way in real life. Earning things and, and getting better at things so you do earn those things, meaning jobs. It's hard work, it's, it's, it, it takes a lot to get where I've got doing it. And it started with the desire to be better than anybody and did not care if I made any extra money on top of the money I was already making to do it. So just show the desire. And once you get put in that position, be capable of doing the job that you were about to do. I see guys, young kids are like, how much are you gonna pay me? And the first thing I say to them is like, how much are you worth? Because if you just started out and you're a monitor guy for the first time, as far as I'm concerned, you're not worth anything. So why are you asking for money? And that's how it was for me. I wasn't an established monitor guy. I wasn't an established front of house guy. So I didn't see myself worth anything, but I was on the path to be proving that I was worth something. And that's what it took was just to be like, Hey, I don't care. And if you are good at it, you're better than, in my case, I was out shining the monitor guy from the band or the front of house guy for the band. And people start recognizing that next thing you know, they go, what's your phone number? And then you're busy and you're not looking for work. The work's looking for you good way to do it. I know it sounds easier than
1: it is, but way easier than going. I wish someone would call me for a gig without them knowing who you are. There's a quote that I'm probably going to misquote. That is something like nobody cares what, you know, until they know how much you care. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Before I get into other people's questions. I want to give you the floor for a little bit. You work with a lot of other engineers. You've been around a lot of other techs. And so I'm curious if you could just, taking a look at all these people you've been around and the questions that you get, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making who are new to front-of-house mixing?
0: A lot of times I'll have opening acts where guys, they assume that me as the headliner is doing something to their rig to make their night worse than it actually is you know (laughs) really yeah i've had it in the past where guys can't get the same spl without blowing drivers up in the pa or the limiters are all flickering you know i use i use a rig that's got limiters that are built for the driver protection it's not something you adjust it's just like a safety limiter that's built into a rig that's designed to keep you from destroying the rig and and i got guys that'll i'm mixing it Let's just say 102 A weighted for a 10 minute average, and I'm not lighting one limiter, not even flickering a single one. And they're lighting them all at 99 and they can't get overnight. And they're like, Oh, we are adjusting the rig on me. And it's no, it's about managing transients, having your mix be huge sounding instead of just being loud by turning it up. So I feel like there's a, even myself at the level I'm at and the gigs I'm getting, I feel like I'm a horrible engineer compared to like studio engineers that really know what the hell they're doing, even engineers that you've never they've even heard their name before that are just amazingly talented and good at like making things massive and huge without using all the headroom. Like that's a fine art that I'm still trying to master every day in this business. And when you do that, you can get, you can mix quieter and give the perception of big and massive without blowing your own hearing out, which you have to you got to do this job every night. And that uh, could be hard on your hearing. If you're trying to mix, if you only know how to mix loud you're killing yourself as well as the people that are there to see the show. Learning how to mix and massives at any vine. Because think about like your favorite big rock records, like even in your car going down the road at 85 dB, they still sound big. They still sound massive. And that's a fine art. It's something that not a lot of people have. And like I said, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, I may be better at it than some guys, but I see a lot of young mixers do that where they're, they automatically want to start blaming stuff and gear and Instead of, instead of realizing it's them, be always always believing yourself, but always believe that you can be better than you are because I got a lot of time in this and I still try to learn every day. And so that's probably a big one. Another big one would be standing in this position, this hot seat of being the front of house guy and not understanding anything about it, including the console and the mix in front of you, like. I try to, I'm a system engineer. I try to know everything there is to know about the PA and the design of the PA and putting it up in the room and understanding the decisions that we've made with the rig, how they affect how it's going to go later. And I feel like all that stuff is crucial to being good at this job. And there's a lot of guys that just don't get it and don't, and and think I'm crazy for showing up at rigging call. And they're like, I've had people ask me all the time, they're like, you're at the gig all day. And I'm like, what else am I going to do? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm here being, paid to guarantee this goes well tonight so if I'm out golfing during the day or sitting in the bus watching the news whatever anything besides a the gig then that's not what I'm getting paid to do and so I take this stuff really serious and back to getting gigs kind of thing like you you, you gotta want this the desire to be good at this better than anybody else and Put in the time and effort. That's what you're there for. You're on tour to to make a show sound good, so whatever it takes. Don't spec a pace of gear you don't know and hope the system engineer knows because it may be his first time seeing it too. Or don't expect him to tune the PA the way you need done because he may not know how to tune it the way you need done. So know all of it and be good at it and take it all serious and you'll be better at it every day because of it.
1: I remember starting out earlier in my career, I found this idea really overwhelming. I felt, oh, I have to know every, I have to understand on a deep level, every link in the signal chain, like that's impossible. This is terrifying. Later on, and now it's fun. Like I get to learn new things. Oh, I'm going out on this tomorrow. Oh, I don't know this in this. Let me like right. dive into this and learn more about it. And so I just wanted to say that for people who may be listening, feeling like that's really overwhelming. Like none of us understood all this immediately, right? Like no. you you took years to, to get into it and you had a hunger to learn all this stuff. And so it, it happens like over years of experience and training. It's not something overnight. The claim is like, it takes 10,000
0: hours to master anything. Think about 10,000 hours. That's a lot of time. That's a massive like studying process to do 10,000 hours to get something like really locked down. And if you give up, if you go home from tour and you're done and you never touch anything, you never listen to anything, you never do anything with audio or sound or books or anything until you go back on the road. Then you're falling behind as far as i'm concerned because i never stop like i know i'm not getting paid but i don't care i want to be better so whatever it takes
1: yeah and i've heard you mention in other interviews that if it sounds good on your near field monitors then it's probably only just going to sound better on a bigger more powerful pa so you look at something smaller and then you just turn it up
0: yeah think of the cone surface in a pa and a concert pa as opposed to near fields so the ability to excite air molecules with a PA as opposed to near fo- near fills if your mix slaps in these little tiny speakers and you can make a PA be neutral that's also an art too because a lot of PAs are fairly hyped up in the bottom end in this huge haystack. And for me managing that I love L Acoustics PA, but I gotta I gotta undo the obnoxiousness and the tuning of their rigs, <laughs> K1 rig, to make it work with how my mix sounds and if you're a if you're a basic mixer. And I don't want to, I'm not going to call people out that K1 that they're not good mixers because they are, there are plenty of them. I feel like anytime I use that rig, I got to undo the hype in it to make my mix that's hyped work. The secret Zoom feature. Yeah. Zoom (laughs) and LFC are, you know, your best friend with any line of especially when you start hanging them 20 deep in arenas, like the low end just goes through the roof. And I think a lot of guys are always, oh, I can't turn anything down. That's sacrilege that turns stuff down. But You'd be surprised like how many times you go into a show where it's just this muddy mess (laughs) it's a ton of everything and never in my career has anybody ever asked me for more 80 to 200 Hertz, just frequencies that are obnoxiously overused and abused. So managing that stuff is a big deal and don't be afraid to turn it down.
1: Okay. I'm going to read you a tiny section from this article from Pitchfork from April 15th, 2017. Radiohead took the stage tonight to perform their headlining set at Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival in Indio, California. Three songs into their show, the band were met with a sudden slew of technical problems, including a complete sound dropout and several bursts of violent feedback. The glitches affected not only the main stage speakers, but also the live sound audio. Fucking aliens again, Tom York said to the crowd. And then the article goes on to describe the technical problems and the dropouts but the whole thing for me is terrifying so at last year's live sound summit you gave a great presentation called have a solid backup plan when using digital consoles so help us understand what the stakes are here sean so if you could talk about maybe like a worst case scenario how things have gone wrong for you when you didn't have a backup plan, and then maybe a best case scenario when things have gone smoothly, at least in terms of the audience and the artists, when you did have a backup plan. That that
0: thing I did for Sound Design Live should have
1: been called have a solid backup plan for any
0: live show, whether you use analog or digital. I said digital because that's typically what we lean on nowadays, but take an analog board out and things can go wrong there too. So having a backup plan is Crucial, no matter what. I grew up. My father was a fireman, and you can't go save lives without everything being doubled and triple checked, and and backups for everything. And not to compare what we do to saving lives, but the money that's at stake, and the ticket holders who come to enjoy a show, not stand around while you try to figure out how to get your shit working. That's not what they're there for. And so that part of it's just not. It it's just shouldn't exist in any live show. And of course that. Radiohead at Coachella level, how massive of a screw-up is that? Whether it's nobody's fault, a console screwed up, whatever, but I'm just never going to be that guy standing there wishing it was not going on when it happens. Look at behind you, the lighting guys. There's always two consoles sitting there. They never not do a show without two consoles sitting there. So why should we be any different? Why, I, and I know nobody wants to pay. Production managers are always you know, bickering about the space PA and everything takes, but they, nobody cares until this shit hits the fan. And then and you're standing there without a show and they're all like, oh, I wish this guy would have had a backup plan. Like at that that cello incident, I'm sure everybody was like, man, how much would it have cost us for this to not happen? Even if it was all year, every year spending money for backup consoles you never need, it's worth it any time it goes down. <laughs> Having, even if it's as minuscule as a stereo mix from the monitor console, I'm not even saying like a full duplicate of your rig, but anything just to keep the show going is important. It, it, it could take three minutes for you to get your stuff back online and it may not screw up the rest of the night. So you had some average sounding monitor mix that you dialed up once at the beginning of the tour playing through the PA for three minutes. No big deal. Way better than dead airtime. So any, any way that you can have a backup plan, even as something as minuscule as a crappy left, right from the monitor console is a big deal. Because it's way easier nowadays to have more than that, then that's what I do. I have a whole separate console and I don't carry a duplicate to what I'm touring with because that is expensive. It does take more space. Production managers and bands like to make their, take their money home and not give it all to the vendors. I found a smaller, lighter way to do it with a Waves LV-1 console, which is extremely lightweight and can be just as good sounding as what you're using. Now, of course, why wouldn't you just use an LV-1 for your real console, but LV-1 is not there's no redundancy built in it. I don't want to bag on LV-1 because I love it. And it's great. My main console is an S6L and it works pretty religiously. It's have I never had a problem with it? Of course I have. Not too long ago, you talk about having a backup plan in place on the Alanis Morissette tour last year, towards the end of the tour, it was like beginning of October. The system engineer calls me and texts me. I was in the bus hanging out between dinner and showtime and he says, hey, the console just restarted. And I'm like... And it was before the opening act, I was like, okay, keep an eye on it. I don't know why I would do that. Cause it just was random. And then as I'm sitting there trying to think of what could this be causing this, I remembered about five days prior to this, I had put version 13 waves plugin in on accident and didn't take it out. Like when it didn't work and said it was the wrong version, I just went about my business instead of going, oh, let me remove that. I didn't take it out. And when I, when the desk actually crashed on me during the show that night, And I spun 90 degrees to my backup console and pushed the stereo fader and the show was back on while my system guy restarted the desk. The PA went down for 150 milliseconds, basically, as long as it took me to turn and push the stereo fader of my LV-1. Because the way I route it into my rig, it's ready to go. It's just turn the stereo fader up. And I don't, I don't build snapshots and I don't have it nearly as, as well-dialed as my main console is, it's close and it's better than nothing. And I can, I can turn it on and go, okay, well, I need to EQ my vocal. I need to do this. And I can do that because it's a console with a surface and everything I need to make it work. The production manager came right. He's like, did the PA just stop? I was like, yeah, for about an eighth of a second. And I'm standing there mixing at the backup rig and my guy's restarting. He's like, okay, the, the main console's back on and we trade places. And he pulls that stereo bus while i push the main and we're back in business and the punters don't even know like they have they, no idea how bad no it idea. could like have been when, <laughs> yeah and when the pa dipped, luckily for me it was like in a call and answer kind of part of the show where we don't mute the pa but it just worked like it just happened to be like in that set. so they really didn't know it was that seamless and the production manager like after we're back on the main desk he splits and goes back to his office and we mixed the rest of the night and the council didn't shut down and the next morning i found the version 13 plugin it got rid of it and it never happened again that could have been that could have been horrible the guy could have been restarting the main console and i had no backup plan and it could have went on for 5 10 minutes the bands leaving the stage and like Coachella with Radiohead they left the stage twice when that happened yeah and you got i don't know 150,000 people standing there going wish we were watching Radiohead right now i've been waiting for this moment for years and here they are
1: they're not just standing and- there twiddling their thumbs they are Tweeting like crazy about how angry they are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the worst part. Like, it's not a reputation killer. Like, I know Jim Warren really well. Their front of house guy. He's an amazing, talented front-of-house guy. It didn't have any detriment to his career. Now, I do know front-of-house guys that used a console that happened on, and the band was like, Okay, you can't use that desk ever again. But if he had a backup plan and that desk crashed, they wouldn't know. They would still be on stage performing and they wouldn't even know and they wouldn't have anything to say. So now this guy's forced into using a desk. When he's on tour with that band, different from a desk that he uses when he's with every other band. I I just, I don't want that to happen to me. The punters aren't paying. It's like feedback, right? Nobody's paying for feedback. There's no added ticket value that says, with free feedback when you go see a show. (laughs) So that stuff's unacceptable. Every part of that is unacceptable. Console crashes, feedback, anything that's not part of the show... Should not be part of the show. It's not something punters want, pay for. People expect it because it's like cliche in movies. Anytime someone steps up to a mic, it feeds back. They just like sound designers that do movies for a living just do that. But that stuff's it, it,
1: under my watch, it's all unacceptable and I'm not having any part of it. I do pause the movie anytime that happens when I'm watching a movie at home to explain <laughs> to my wife how, right. why is it is so detrimental that they continue the stereotype.
0: Yeah, exactly, but it doesn't help that sound guys are out there picking their own microphones and pointing PAs at the stages, and there's a lot
1: of reasons why the stereotype continues. I'm avoiding it at all costs, though. All right, are you ready to answer some questions from some humans? Sure. So this guy Pooch says, what is his take on the future of Avid as a company? Lots of people are complaining about the product support, including tech support for live products, for example. It would be nice to get a non-employee perspective. First of all, what up, Pooch? Pooch is a buddy of mine. Love him dearly. I, I agree with him every
0: bit about people complaining about Avid's tech support. Cause if you call waves, bam, they're on the phone. There's somebody taking over your system with TeamViewer and fixing your problems. And they do it so fast. Sometimes you're like, oh, slow down so I can tell what you're doing. So I don't have to call you next time. So I know what you did. And Avid has a lot of ways to make up in the tech support as the future of Avid as a live sound vendor. They're not stopping. It's a niche market, right? If you think about, the amount of consoles we sell in the live touring industry is teeny tiny. So as far as shareholders are concerned, with a public company like Avid, they're like, your video department over here is making billions and your live sound division over here is making millions. What are we doing over here? And I'm shocked that they still do it because it isn't a ton of money for them, but it's also shocking the amount of effort that they put into it. And it's still great. The products are great. And having a mixing platform that, that talks to a recording platform. That's like the world standard pro tools. There's so many things about it that are amazing. And the tech support it is not part of that. That's amazing. And, and I get that that's a sore spot for a lot of people when you're standing there and the gear isn't working well, and you need someone to help you out and that company you call doesn't answer the phone or they go, we'll get back to you and it's tomorrow. Like I get it, but that kind of goes back to my point about don't spec gear that you don't know anything about like the console i use which is an avid sxl i'm a beta tester for them so there's not a single thing about the thing that i don't know now of course i have questions here and there and luckily i have people that i can call directly and ask about things and i wish everybody had it how i had it also a lot of the problems that i know a ton of guys because i run an avid sxl page on online that I don't get paid for, that's free. And it's just me trying to help. And I know a lot of guys that submit post to be approved. And then I talk to my guys at Avid. I'm like, why is this guy having so many problems? They're like, oh yeah, that old knucklehead is trying to use every plugin on the world that doesn't, isn't approved and is not supposed to be installed in the desk and, and these guys are causing their own problem. So it's just use the product as it's designed and, and don't try to do stupid things that you shouldn't be doing you'll have a good time and know how it works so that when it doesn't go well, you know how to fix it. So I feel like Avid gets a little bit more of a bad rap for their products because people try to abuse the use of them and, and not use them as they're designed. And Avid's probably not as good to get the point across to not do those kind of things when it goes wrong or when someone installs like I did, I put a version 13 ways plugin in it. Four days later, the engine restarted on its own for no reason. Version 13 plugins are not approved for this system. And somehow, some way, a line of code went, not today, buddy, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was my fault. It wasn't the desk fault or the product's fault. Wasn't sure as how It wasn't customer support's fault. I get it though. I agree with Pooch 100%. Get to customer support, spend the money to get customer support better. So people have a good time with it when they do have an issue. Because you will, there are knuckleheads that misuse the product and your benefit, even though you shouldn't have to cover their asses, you, you have to. Waves do it when people don't do something right or don't know how to use the product, they'll answer the phone and they'll fix your problem right away. So if Waves can do it, Avid can do it. And I don't know why they, they don't spend the money. They should. I do know it's a tiny little market, with not a lot of cash flow in it. So that's probably the biggest reason. Avid's a small company. If you think about it, they're not that massive of a company. None of these live sound vendors are that massive companies when you think of Tesla or Apple. Apple billion dollar corporations that their quarterly earnings are more than Avid's made in their live sound division since its inception. So you do have to realize as a user, that's what we're up against. We're a tiny little market that gets what it gets. We get the scraps from Avid when it, and all the live sound vendors are like that. Now I'm sure Ditchco has got a lot bigger umbrella of console with all the other different brands that they've acquired and you know, their support is probably better because of it. Where Avid's just like this tiny little thing. so. I agree, Pooch.
1: You use a lot of D A B products almost exclusively. Why do you love them? Now, in other interviews, you've talked about how you just feel like it's a great product and you can get what you need from it really quickly compared to some other products. Do you still feel that way? And is there any way you want to expand on that? I do still use it. It's you know, it's like using Apple products. Like I I have an Apple computer, I have an iPhone, I have an
0: Apple Watch, like the walled garden effect that these certain vendors have makes their products better. It's just, it's the app store from Apple. We think about like how all that works together seamlessly is makes it a smoother product to use from as a, as an end user is concerned. And D is like that for me, when it comes to the PA, the amplifier, the design software, the control software, like all four of those things work so seamlessly, so effortlessly. Now, I'm not saying that other vendors don't have that. El Acoustics have a, has a great design software and a control software. I just don't get along with that product as easily as I do. And it could be because of experience with using DNB. I do like a system that I can put in the air and quickly have sounding the way I want with the least amount of effort because of the amount of tours I do, the type of tours I do, a front of house is sitting in the corner in the back of the floor while the stage is in the spot where I should be building front of house. And that is there till one o'clock in the day, sometimes two o'clock, three o'clock in the day. And these giant pop tours with four million lighting, you know, products and video walls everywhere. And they get, we get the PA working at four o'clock in the afternoon and the production manager, state manager is like, okay, hey, can we put the band on at five o'clock? The doors are at half hour. So having products that are easy to get working quickly is crucial in that scenario. It's like, the last thing I want to do is, have to walk the room longer than I have to and listen to that same obnoxious section of a song more than I have to. And with J or GSL, KSL, and a calc and a processing and R1 to control it, I just did stadium shows with System of a Down and me and my system engineer, we stayed late on the load-in day because we wanted to tune the PA when the show was going to happen as far as atmosphere was concerned, nine o'clock to 11 o'clock, same Temperature, humidity, kind of as the next two days are going to be. So we stayed late to do that. It was cold in LA at night. We were outdoors. And the last thing we want to do is be there longer than we have to be. I'm like, let's get this done quickly and get out of here and get back to the hotel because it's cold and let's do this. And having a rig that makes that easy to go about is crucial to me. I don't want to be there any longer than I have to. I don't want it to take any longer than it should. And I don't know what you know about array processing that DNB have. The way the air affects mids and high frequencies over distance is massive to any PA. It doesn't matter what PA you are, line array, front, you know, point source, it doesn't matter. Anything you're trying to shoot hundred meters through a venue is gonna be drastically affected by the atmospheric conditions. And DNB have done massive amounts of research into the effects of the atmospheric conditions on the array over distance. And array processing was one of the earliest to counteract what atmospheric conditions do to align array over distance. I'm not one of those front house engineers that just lets my system engineer deal with everything. And I stay at front of house and hope it's good back there. I'm back there listening to it. I'm at the top of the arena in the very back row of the seats during the day going, it's not cutting it back here. And until array processing came around, we did other things and we boosted the top boxes and we put CD horn EQs on shelves on the top of things to try to but it was, that was archaic compared to array processing. It's just massive algorithm to deal with the distance and the you know, temperature and humidity effect on sound. And it's works very well. Now, of course you can abuse that too. There's adjustability in array processing and I've seen it abused and it could make it worse and sound overly excessively bright and those kind of things. But once again, don't choose products and use them without knowing how to use them. And I know how to use them. Me and my system engineer worked hand in hand together for years now to develop a method to getting it to work in our, in our behalf. And those things about that PA make me pick it every time over any other PA, because I know when I go back and I've toured with other PAs, like I have buddies that work for other vendors that are like, oh, I mean, I'll use our stuff all the time. And i like, cause when I go to the back back there and I listen, it doesn't do what I expected to do. And the intelligibility is off. I gotta, now I gotta start, now I gotta take more time to manually try to make this PA work back there where array processing it, if set and configured correctly, just does it for me. And when I walk back there, I make a sweep through the arena and I'm like, yeah, it's doing what I expect. Let's go back to getting the band on stage, the sound checking and keeping the production manager in the day going smoothly and fast. Because they don't care. They don't, they'll put a show on whether you're ready or not. They do not <laughs> care. They're like, hey, it's time. F you, we're out of time. And I didn't do anything to cause the time to be out, You know what I mean? The lighting rig and the stage and the carpenters and everybody in this show being designed by these designers who don't give a shit about sound. Those are what I'm up against. So when it comes to a rig that can help me in that situation, I'm picking it every time. And this stuff sounds great. You know what I mean? It's that the timbre of a DNB PA is something that I'm cool with and I agree with. There's other line arrays. Everybody makes great sounding line arrays, but they all have their own kind of timbre to them. And me having a big, massive mix that needs a neutral sounding PA, the D&B rig is the closest for me in the quickest amount of time. So that's what I'm picking. And I get results and people keep calling me, asking me to do their tour. So that's what I'm doing. Awesome.
1: Most of your career was spent with eighth day. So what's your take on the Claire purchase? How has it affected you? In, other, in another interview, I heard you say that you feel like it's positive and it just benefits everyone. Do you still feel that way?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Eight Day and I have a long history. That's where I got my start in this business. They were a local vendor to me in Cleveland. And so I grew up there. It's like when you're a kid and your dad drives Ford pickup trucks, you probably end up driving Ford pickup trucks yourself. It's just the way it goes. And, and Eight Day was that for me as a young kid, they gave me my start. They put me on tour flying PAs and you know, I have history with them. And, and Eight Day always bought the products that I liked and agreed with. They started early with VDOS, which was amazing, still amazing PA to this day and then turbo silent and that kind of things where they just always had good products. So I love them and have got amazing results with them. And I've toured with Claire for many years as well with their PAs and their rigs and that kind of stuff. But as far as them buying 8day, both companies have amazing things they can learn from each other and are learning from each other. Claire admittedly bought 8day for things that they do well that Claire probably didn't do as well. Not that they did anything poorly or not that 8day did anything poorly. They both are amazing companies, but it's a learning experience for both of them. So they're, it's beneficial, I think, for them to take them over. And for me, that is it benefiting me in any way? Like, absolutely, Claire's giant. Like how could it not benefit me when I'm a specifically an 8day guy and use 8day? I don't work for 8day, but I hire them on a lot of tours. It shows sure a lot of people, Claire Brothers are like, F that guy, he won't use us. and And I hate that. I want to be friends with every vendor. If you only own the products that I typically don't use, and they own all the products that I typically do use, and the bands are hiring me to bring my A-game and get them the best results, that's who I work for. So that's what I'm doing. Now that Claire owns 8-Day, and 8-Day goes, hey, you can have anything they have, and you can have anything we have, and Claire, you can hire them. And now it's just whatever you want. If you hire a Claire gig, it's whatever you want box-wise, instead of just their manufactured stuff, which is great products. You make amazing PAs, cohesion and, and their CP products. They make the powered sub-overcept, all amazing products, a little behind in the software side of like, eight, like B have. So not my go-to when it comes to picking things, but I think it's beneficial no matter what, now I'm hoping the guys at Claire brothers can't avoid me. And they, when they get asked for about an engineer that they command, I'm hope my name's at the top of their list sure. or close to the top of their list. So. I think it's beneficial no matter what.
1: All right, Marcel says, which festival has the best catering? Oceaga Fest,
0: Canada, probably the best. Like craft pizza ovens and those, and just like anything you can imagine. The Oceaga Festival. Oh, well. he knows that. Here he's been go. there. He knows that.
1: Michelle says, I love Sean's Facebook posts from the shows that he's working on. Can I ask about sub arrays? I've seen some photos where it looks like he's both spreading out the subs. And creating a delay arc, doesn't spreading out the subs make the line longer and narrow coverage? And doesn't the arc widen the coverage? Seems like opposing design strategies. Can you ask him to walk us through the decision making there?
0: There, There is no decision making. I know what he's talking about. The post he's talking about. There is no decision making there. It's the logistics of the building that you're dealing with. And you put the rig up wherever you can get it in deployed that day, you know, if it's, we typically do a flat line and we put some time on the subs to get them widened. In that case, it was spread out over space, but it was an arc as well. So we ended up having to delay the middle subwoofers to try to take a little bit of the arc out of it. It's counter what it looks like, what we're actually doing in the processing to make it work the way we've deployed it. And the deployment was strictly based on the size and shape of the building. And and we do what we got to do. Some days you, you get what you get and you got to make it work and you got to get the best out of it whatever it takes. And from a viewer's standpoint, looking at a photo, you might go, what the hell? (laughs) This guy, don't know what he's doing, but guess what? I'm just doing whatever it took that day. So that's all there is to it. And we made adjustments to invert the arc so that it didn't affect our line to do how we would normally do it. So it still worked and behaved the way we wanted it to because we manipulated it.
1: Cool. Kenny says, ask him what motivates him to keep going and pursuing live sound on difficult days or days when he gets discouraged i love this stuff i'm putting concerts on for a living i'm mixing live sound for a living so even
0: on the worst crappiest day when you wish you weren't there and you got a a a family member at home that's wishing you were home or worse your father's sick and getting old you know there's those days that suck but i i love what i do so much and would do anything to not have to do any other jobs. And there's this video I show a lot of roadies that like to complain on tour about how bad the day sucked, where it's five-year-old and 10-year-old Cambodian boy and girl that are out hunting snakes for a living at 10 and five years old to, to put snake soup on the dinner table that night for their family. And their mom's probably selling snake skins for $8 $8 that month or whatever. Go see what truly shitty jobs are and, and realize like how good we have it, even on the worst days. And and you'll never have a bad day on tour again. Or did you work a crappy job when you came up? I I've delivered newspapers as a 13, 14 year old boy at six in the morning. That sucked. Not something I want to do again. I washed dishes at a restaurant at that 15 and a half years old. That sucked. It's That's something I don't want to do. A crappy day on tour is still amazing no matter what and being a poor sport about it and crying, there's Pete's on the bus again. It's just ludicrous to me. <laughs> Come on, man, pizza. get over it. Yeah. You don't got to be excited about it because who is to be, to have a shitty day and to be like complaining about it. It's just, man, it's just not nowhere in the day there's too much energy to be devoted to other things to make your day go well, to devote any of it to being a poor sport about anything. So. I just avoid it. And don't get me wrong, I, I can be a crab apple on tour. I, I'm sure people watch this and be like, I've seen that guy be an asshole before. And yeah, there are those days, but you just got to get through them and, and know tomorrow will be better. And your day, even when it sucked, was better than the kid sticking his arm in a hole on a hill to pull a snake out. <laughs> so get over it.
1: All right. Devin says, ask him about gig prep. He had posts about his process getting ready for a gig where he would bring in a small version of the system at his home. He would use at the event and get the live show files and run them through prior to the gig. I'm interested in what approaches he takes and what he works on at home as opposed to what he leaves for the day of the show. That The picture he's probably talking about was the small system was not in my home. It
0: was at a rehearsal facility I at home. When I'm, when the, when my gear is home, which isn't very often, but when it is, I have uh Tannoy DMT 215 twos, which are a double 15 with a compression driver, co-centric compression driver at the back of one of the 15s are big, massive, like really high end expensive studio far fields that sit on top of W double 18s. Like I have a PA in my studio as well as my near fields, just so I can go back and forth to be like, okay, here's what my PA sounds like in some Gen X 8040s is what I normally use. And here's what it sounds like in a massive cone surface PA simulation. As far as the, the prep is concerned, it's mostly done on near fields to get, because you're going to send the mix no matter what you do. You're going to do a festival and the band's going to go, you're mixing our show. We don't want some guy who's never heard us before taking 60 inputs and trying to dial it up on the day of. So you're giving off your left, right. Now it could be left, right, band and left. It could be just a mix, but you're gonna send it to a stream somewhere or you're gonna record it and the band's gonna ask for it or something. So it, it better sound good in that scenario, but it has to because someone's gonna hear it in that scenario. And you'd be surprised how well a mix will sound. It, like we were talking about earlier, once you get it in this massive, like overblown PA, you will be surprised how good it's, it just gets better. It doesn't get worse. If it's crappy in the near fields and you hope that you, the PA brings it to the level you want it at, you're missing the point. And so the big PA thing at at home for me is just to like, okay, yeah, cool. It's, it, it works in that massive environment, but the work was really done in near fields. And even at rehearsal, when I post those pictures of a small VJ, DNB V rig on top of infras and J subs. It's really just a confidence thing to go, yep, cool. It's going to translate in the PA once I'm done with it in ear fields, you know, and the Genelec like, 8040s is my go-to for that because they're strong, robust metal cabinets and you can abuse them and throw them in a, a drawer of a workbox and know that they're going to work again tomorrow and that kind of thing. And they translate well. You dial them up in there and you can pretty much guarantee that laptop speakers or someone watching it on their phone from a stream or it's going to work. So... Mm-hmm the big stuff's just kind of because I can in confidence booster to make sure it translates. Sure.
1: All right. Peter says, ask him if he remembers the flashlight I got him and Gino for the Cheryl Crow show on Maui. It's actually a great story. I almost got fired. I do
0: remember this back in the day, Gino, I've, anybody knows
1: me, I used to be a heavy pot
0: smoker. (laughs) I don't anymore. I'm old now and I gave it up. But back in the day we were in for pot. We were in in maui for a gig and uh, peter was a, one of the local guys who did everything on a gig he was like in the lifts to hang the pa and he was a stagehand and he was driving the runner van and he was doing he was one of those guys who just did everything and we were like hey get us some weed and because he didn't <laughs> want to get in trouble and get caught for it he stashed it in like some those cheesy like gas station led flashlights that they have like on the counter like he it was like giving him giving us a gift and it was a couple grams of weed stuffed in the flashlight i i didn't know that he almost got fired for it so i'm glad he didn't yeah we'll have to find out his part of the, his side of the story i would have felt bad yeah
1: <laughs> okay greg says ask him about his time mixing a very loud show at the metropolitan museum of art and i said oh greg were you there can you tell us about it And he said no
0: no greg does the one question how I'll sound things and he asked me what's one of the craziest gigs you have ever done and, and my answer happened to be about Mixing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for, I forget, the Met Gala or whatever it is, where everybody shows up in million-dollar outfits and gowns. And Rihanna happened to be the artist that year that I was mixing in. There was people standing around with Geiger counters and next to these 400,000-year-old artifacts. And they're like, you can't destroy any of this stuff. If you do, we don't even know what to tell you because you can't, you just can't. Like... SPL meters around all the, you know, we're talking about Egyptian artifacts. There's a lot of like, you know. The stakes are high. The <laughs> yeah, the stakes are high. And it's, and I got a manager who doesn't care, even though he knows that the stakes are high. We're talking about a guy who's got a Ferrari in it every town he spends a night in. So he oh doesn't God. care. Like he just wants his artists to be represented the way their artists to be represented. And so it's a it's a fine line of pleasing to be trying to be all day quarterback and keeping the the Met happy that you're not. And in my mind, I'm like, what, why is this stuff still here? Like, why don't you guys like take it, yeah, really. get it, remove it. Like, you know, there's going to be abandoned here in here like, and we're bringing a PA in and it's just, it's a tough dance, that one, but we got through it and we made everybody happy and we didn't break any four and 5,000 year old Egyptian artifacts. So sure. fun times.
1: You break it, you bought it. <laughs> or you, you can't afford it, but we're going to, somebody's going to pay for it, even though we can't replace it. So Johan says, how is he using virtual playback on his daily workflow? And at the beginning, you already talked about how that basically is the first thing you play. So do you want to say anything else about virtual playback in your workflow?
0: Yeah, I'll start with a sign sweep to time align things and check my alignment and check SPL between zones and that kind of thing. And then, yeah, I immediately go to the loop of the song, of the annoying song that we're going to play, which my system engineer and I, it's always like one of the earliest things we do during rehearsal. We're like. Okay, which one of these are we going to pick for to tune the PA every day? Is it going to be something that we know is going to be the big crowd pleaser of the show, or is it going to be something that we enjoy listening to more in the set than the next thing? And that's the most important, crucial part of tuning the PA is listening to relevant material with relevant musicianship, because sound checks are never what you need them to be. If you even get them, I, a lot of the bands I work with are so big and massive. They don't come in. They're like, we are paying you guys to get this crap together. Like we're not coming for that. So you either get roadie rock or you get the backline guys who know a song and it's nothing like them, even though it sounds like it, it's not played like them. And so the, the virtual playback, which is from the last venue we did, that's just like this one. If you're doing arena tour, it's yesterday, but if you're doing sheds and arenas, Yesterday might've been indoors and today you're outdoors. So I'll go back and I'll find the outdoor show or find something that's very similar to what we're doing that night so that it's relevant. And I'll listen to it and I'll play it and I'll walk. And my console tablet and my system in here takes the PA tuning tablet and we get it the way we want and the SPL that we want in front of house and we check that SPL and then we mute it. And then we walk to the front fills and we unmute it and we check the SPL that's similar Maybe a little louder because you're closer and that's the way it goes in nature. And you get closer, it gets louder and brighter. And then we're like, cool, that's the way you want. And we'll mute it all. And we'll walk to the next zone because we know it's annoying. And we know people don't want to listen to it. and We know they hate us for doing it. So we try to be as cool about it as possible. And as only as loud as it has to be for as long as it has to be. And we'll walk to the lower side of those side hangs and we'll go in those side seats. And we'll listen there and we'll go in a couple sections of that seat to there and make sure the PA the way we've designed it in the software covers it physically, like like it should. And if it doesn't, then we'll go. Hey, we need to add a front fill box or something here to try to get these three corner seats here that we missed that the simulation software looked like it was going to cover, but after going here and listening to it, it's not. Get on the radio. Hey, tell the PA guys. Hey, can you get a box out and put it up here and point it up for us? And and then we'll go higher up in the side or two seventy hangs. Unmute and listen and go around a couple sections. Same exact piece of material over and over and over again. That way, it's no question. Like it sounds the same or similar. It's got there's a range, you know. Obviously, not we're not going for exactly the same thing, but a range, you know. Depending off you're near or far, and brighter and louder and lower and darker as you get farther away, just because naturally that's how it works. Yeah, you need a control in the test. Yeah, I'm not trying to undo nature with you know a PA. I'm trying to keep it how it normally works and that virtual sound check it was a game changer when it came out that's one thing that started me down the avid console path was when i first heard that we were going to be able to play record and play back with pro tools in the live scenario i was just like are you kidding me? <laughs> like really this is going to happen like we're going to do that? because i had a studio background and i know what studying tracks was about to make things sound the way they should we don't ever go into a studio and do a sound check and then send the band packing and go okay we're done like we do in live sound and so when that came That was just a game changer. And I've just never looked back because it's changed my game. It's made me a better mixer, made me a better system engineer, even though I have a system engineer that's amazing and does a great job. It's made us both better because we can truly study the work in all scenarios without the pressure of the lights being off and the crowd screaming and all that part of it. We're like a controlled environment where we can do what we need to do. And the virtual sound check is, I feel like nowadays is the only way to do that. If you're touring with a live, digital console that can record and you're not recording, then come on and get with it because that stuff is the only way to do it well. I'm sure somebody might argue with me about it, but I'll fight you to the death. That's the way to do it well and be good
1: at it. So don't sleep. That's the way to do it. So you, you mentioned sign sweeps, and I've heard you mention this in other interviews as well. And I know you are a smart user. So I just wanted to confirm when you're saying sign sweep, does that mean you're using the impulse response module to compare arrival times? That's what the sign sweep yeah. is
0: okay. Yeah. And in general, coherence is always an issue, right? It's, it's one of the hardest things about using an FFT to tune a system is coherence. If there is no coherence, you're pointless. There's no reason to do it. And with continuous pink noise on constantly exciting every surface in the room, coherence is typically always bad, even with everything in your favor, the mic placement and one one system of the rig on and everything in your favor. And pink noise is just this continuous equal level source, exaggerates everything It bounces constantly. Where a sine sweep is all frequencies equal, but just one at a time, spread out over distance, and the coherence better. It's not great either. Like they'll always find some anomalies in coherence because of reflections. It's just the way it is. We're not in this anechoic chamber that would give you this perfect phase response, no matter what. But the sine sweep, because it's not continuously blasting, bombarding everything with noise, you just get this quick. You get a better coherence trace with it, and it's also easier to listen to than pink noise at the end of the day it's equivalent to pink noise it's just spread out one frequency at a time over however long the blip takes which is what a second or something like that it's not it might not even be a second it may be a half a second or whatever it takes but i just like to be as accurate and as the least annoying as possible when doing this stuff because i hate it too i've said it a million times nobody likes pink noise including me it's you might as well point a, a laser in my eyeball it's like <laughs> I,
1: it's just not fun so i'll All right. Ryan says, with 28 years of experience, what are the biggest challenges you still face, and how has that changed from when you had 18 and eight years of experience?
0: Biggest challenges I face are protecting my hearing and not blowing my brains out every night, because who doesn't want a loud, big, crazy, loud rock show? That's what the people are there for, but you as the purveyor of that and the one who's got to give that to the people every night. You got to take the steps to protect yourself and not blow your hearing out or you won't be very good at this for very long. I won't say you won't be very good at it. You'll have a premature end to your career if you're just out there blowing your brains out every night because the punter's only got to come one night during the week and you're there three or four nights a week. And so that I would say would be my biggest challenge because I've locked down how I set my shows up. That's not a challenge for me to lay out my console and I have my ways and the gear that I pick is works well and is reliable and those challenges are, don't exist anymore. So the real challenge is, is to do this well, get the people what they pay for, but not kill yourself in the process.
1: Yeah, is there any anything specific you've figured out? Is it like placement up front? This, of- this right here. I I get a song sounding the way I want, the way I think it should
0: be, and then I'll put these in and listen with my bus, my Q bus aligned to the PA so that I'm in time with the sound coming at me, how far I'm away. And because these isolate me from the PA, I can still make critical mixed decisions. Because I do this, I listen to the PA. I'm like, cool, I know what that sounds. And I immediately put these in and I know what these sound in relation to that. And so I can go. And so now I'm 20 dB less. So if I'm mixing at 100 dBA over 10 minute average or 102A over 10 minute average, which can be quite loud for 10 minutes, I, if I take myself out of that environment with 25 dB less of reduction, so now I'm at 80, 80, 78 dB, you know, where I can listen to these at, or let's say 85, 85 is like the studio norm. That's what like, you know, typically try to mix at in studios is 85, because you can do it all day without killing yourself. And so if I can get this 102 dB a, a weighted show down to 85 in here and still be able to make critical mixed decisions take them out, confirm what I did, put them back, take them. You know, it's a constant flow of these in, these out. And I only went to in-ears because they isolate better than headphones too. And you can't tell I'm wearing them. Yeah, even though mine are black with silver logos on them, nobody even knows I'm doing it. The show sounds great. That's all they care about, you know, managers or bands, girlfriends or whatever. As long as you're still getting your point across, then who cares how you do it? You know, as long as you can get the point across, and do it safely for yourself and limit the exposure because, you know, if you look at the OSHA thing, you know, of course that's based on like machines hitting steel products into the ground all day long. So it's like a hundred percent duty cycle where music is not that. It's a short, it's like 15 minutes. You can listen to hundred DB before you're starting to cause damage. And if you're mixing the show at an hour and a half and you sound check for an hour and a half and you tune the PA for an hour. There's five hours of you at a hundred DB, like you're hurting yourself. You're going to go to your bunk with your ears ringing. You're going to wake up with your ears ringing and expect that to, to be detrimental over time. Cause it will be yeah. at year eight. I didn't think about that at year 18, I considered it, but at year 26, it's all I think about. And it's something I take very serious. I think we all should, I know I just mix the metal band. It's just mixed system of a down and of course. That show is expected to be this big rock show, this big metal show, to do it safely. Once again, back to mixing huge sounding instead of loud sounding, you know, cause if you're mixing that show at 110 all night long, you're not only killing the people that paid for it, they're going to go home and get in their car and be like, oh, what that, you know, they're not gonna be able to, they're not gonna be able to hear their girlfriend say that was fun tonight <laughs> and you got to do it multiple nights a week. So you got to think about those things and you got to protect yourself and do what
1: it takes. And for me, this is the way. This is the way this is the way this is the way this is the way yeah so sean i know you also do some teaching and private training yourself so where is the best place for people to keep up with your work online and how what's the best way for them to reach out to you if they're interested in asking you about that all my social medias is at Sally. so if it's twitter it's at Sally.
0: if it's facebook it's at Sally. instagram same thing my email is soundbyseli gmail so it's, it's pretty easy. You can type in Sound by Sully in any one of the platforms. You'll find me and reach out. It, even if you don't want to spend any money, if you got a question and you'd be like, hey, I'm going to ask this guy because he seems like he'll help me out. Hit me up. I'm not like, oh, until you give me some money, I'm not talking to you. I don't do that. I love this shit. So hit me up. Let's talk about it, whatever. And if you want to go deep, then yeah, let's spend some money and, I, and I'll help you along the way because I would have killed for someone like me to offer this kind of stuff to, get me my skill set advanced to where I, I want it to be. When I started 26, 27 years ago, there was like the Yamaha Pro Sound Reinforcement Handbook was it, doing <laughs> it, that was it. And so between YouTube and guys like me that I know, Pooch has got a great online thing that you can buy. And there are some guys that that want to help. I know guys are like, oh, you're crazy. I'm not sharing what I know with anybody. I'm not intimidated by these guys. I'm not worried that these guys are going to take my job because I know for a fact that every day I'm trying to get better at this. And I know I want to be better at this every day. So I welcome it. I'm tired of going to shows that sound bad. So I'll do whatever it takes to help people. Yeah, this is a public service. Act, their, <laughs> yeah, to get your act together. Like some bands only have so much money. So they only want to pay for an house guy this. You've got to get an experience level of this as opposed to this. And that's the way it goes. But desire to be good at it and hit guys like me up to help and I'll help. I'm not afraid to help. I don't claim to know everything, but I have learned a bit along the way and The gigs I get and my resume obviously confirm that. Not to be big-headed or egotistical about it, but I've gotten where I've gotten because I took it seriously and I learned as much as I could along the way. And I've studied from great people greater than me along the way. And I've done what I'm offering to do for people to help me get better at it. So don't be afraid to hit me up.
1: All right, Sean Sullivan, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Great, good fun. Sound Design